Man. Maybe choke up up here, man. Good grief. Yeah, I, I just want to tell you, I just it's such a cool day today to just be able to celebrate uh, Mother's Day with you guys. Um, if y'all just take a second and just give uh, the mothers who had to do that video a hand, because that was a, that was nerve-wracking. <laughs> um, and and second and second of all, if you're a mother in this place or um, expect a mother anything, I want you to stay seated. Everybody else wants you to stand. Let's give mothers a hand this morning. It's awesome. It's good. I, I know for a fact that you know, uh, from my from my experience with my wife, she doesn't like to be celebrated. But I tell you what, that mothers and grandmothers carry so much influence in raising up our children. Um, there's so many um, lessons learned through uh, paddles, <laughs> through stern words, through compassion, through love, uh, patience. Um, I know I've been on the full spectrum of that in my life where my grandma's whipped me worse than I've ever been whipped in my life. Nowadays, that's child abuse, but, you know, but, like, I, but they've also, I've, I've also had many life lessons learned on the back porch of my grandmother's house or, or some just conversations around the dinner table with my mom. But I just love the fact that we get to come together as a church family and just walk together as a family of families uh, mothers, fathers, and children to be able to seek God together and be able to see us come into maturity and unity under the name of Jesus. It's pretty cool to watch that. I love to watch godly mothers come and raise children that are um, lovers of Jesus and people who are um, you know, teaching their kids how to worship and things like that. And so, um, But if you're new here this morning, I just want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Michael Page, as you can see on the screen. I'm, I'm the campus pastor here at Connection Church Savannah. And I think that I would just love for you to understand one thing this morning is that um, we love you. And God loves you, and God has a purpose for you, and God wants to see your life come to um, just the, the fruition and the maturity that he's called you to, and for you to see him for who he truly is, and it's like a loving father. It's a loving father, and I, and I want you to hear that this morning if you've never heard that before, because I love coming here each week and worshiping together as a family. Um, wherever you're at on the spectrum of, of your faith, um, God's not mad at you. He's not done with you if you're here. He's not, uh, he's, if you're breathing, he's still got work for you to do. And I just get excited every time we come here as a family to be able to exalt the name of Jesus above all names, to be able to declare him as the Lord and Savior of the entire human race, to be able to reach out to him and say, Father, I need you. And he'd be right there for me as I, as I, as I need him for salvation in everything in life. And if you don't know that today, if you don't know him today, I hope you experience this in a very real way today. Um, through the reading of the word, not through something that I say, but through the reading of the word and something the Holy Spirit does through scripture. That's my heart for us as a church each time we come here this morning. And one thing I know, one thing I've noticed is over the last few, few months is that God is moving in his church. I mean, I've seen, I'm seeing him move in areas and other churches in some very real ways in this church and in churches around us and also in other parts of the globe. I've been having conversations with people who are very interested in missions, very interested in being a sending church, very interested in what's happening in other places of the globe. We've had um, conversations with pastors from Sri Lanka. We've had conversations with pastors from, um, you know, different places in the world like India where, where, the, where the church is being persecuted and their constant, constant, constant um, comments to us is God is moving, God is moving, God is moving, God is moving. And I don't want us to miss that here in our comfortable seats on Sunday mornings, that God's moving in this place. God's moving around us. And I never, ever, ever want us to take that for, gran for granted. Because listen, I want to tell you what, the doors of influence, the doors of, of, of God's movement are flinging wide open for kingdom work to be done. 
It's a matter of are we going to step up to the call, step through the door, and walk in the calling that he's calling us to? That's the question that of the hour of this church and every other church in our area. Like, Are we going to answer the call that God has on our life to be the men and women, to be raised up, to do the things he's called us to do, to see kingdom purpose spread in this community, to see his name made great in this area? My heart is for his name to be, to be praised by every race, every language in our city and in the world. And that has to be our heart. And as I see this, man, Ephesians 4, we've been reading this in our Connect group and some other staff areas. I'm seeing Ephesians 4. I'm seeing that the leadership of the church is called to equip the body to do the works of service. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. It's Ephesians 11 and 12 and on through 16. And this is why, this verse right here is why I, I, I talk until I'm blue in the face. Everybody does announcements. They talk until they're blue in the face. And they encourage you to take next steps. Take a next step. Just take a next step because our heart is to see you come alive with the Holy Spirit to do the things God's called you individually to do. You're, you're not supposed to do what I'm doing. You're not, I'm not supposed to be doing what you're doing. We're supposed to work together and complement one another and push one another towards the areas that God has us. We're not in competition with each other or any other churches. We're called to be where God's called us to be and do what God's called us to do. And that's my heart, is that the mission is to connect every single person in this room to a growing relationship with Jesus. And that happens by taking a next step. And if you're here this morning, you haven't taken a next step in a very long time, I can be confident through Scripture and say that you, you may be outside of God's will. Like, take a next step in where he's calling you. Be brave, bold, take some courage to do it. Because Jesus tells his disciples that no one or nothing will be able to stand in the way of his church. The only person that's going to stand in the way of his church is stagnant believers. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this because you won't ever see the church be killed from the outside. You, you won't ever see the church be destroyed from the outside. You may see the building be destroyed, but you'll never see the body of believers be destroyed from outside. You won't see enough persecution to destroy the church. Anytime the church comes under attack, what happens? It grows. It grows. It multiplies. It gets bigger. The passion gets the revival breaks out. Look at Iran or China. Look at Syria right now or North Korea. Like the, the church is very much alive in those places where the church is being persecuted. But listen, a church dies from a very slow death of its individual members. That's what happens. A moral, moral decay. They start, like, uh, they start allowing sin into their life and then into the church or a loss of spiritual vigor. You know, I once was passionate about Jesus, but I've kind of lost it. You know, where's, where's it, where to go? Uh, it might be an inward focus instead of an outward focus or, or an outward conviction to see the, the kingdom come in this area. It becomes something about self-worship. I, I want my life to be padded with all kinds of comforts and luxuries. I want to be comfortable. I want my life to be good. I want my life to mean something rather than exalting the name of Jesus above all things. It's exalting self over Christ. And in the end, scripturally speaking, it's, it's, idol, it's, it's idolatry, and we're worshiping self. Do you want to see a spirit-filled church? Do you want to see a spirit-filled church where you're seeing the, the walls of this place just rattling with people just coming in and leaving and going out and changing their communities through the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, then if that's what you want, get outside these walls and into the streets of our community with the love that you're experiencing Christ in your heart and what he's doing. We have outreach projects that happen every month in every connect group in our church. That's a great way to get involved, joining a connect group. Do you want to see a church that's missionally, missionally minded, 
a missional church that's, that's, that's committed to going overseas, to going to our neighbor in our communities here, to going into the entire world to see the glory of God reach the ends of the earth. If that's what you want, then my heart is for you to, to you position yourself at the foot of the cross and put your yes on the table and let God put it on the map somewhere. Because that means complete surrender. Yeah, I, I like my job. I like what I do. But is God calling me to do something else? Is he calling me to be raised up, be sent out to do something that he's calling me to do? Do you want to be a church that's centered on Christ? Then the best thing that you can do for this church, for this body, is to center your life on Christ and start following in his steps and help others do the same thing. Help other people do the same thing. Grab them and pull them in. Help them, help them from where they're at and get to where God wants them to be at. And do you want to see a church that's alive? My gosh, I want to see a church that's alive and moving and active. I want to see a church like I read about in Acts. I'm doing this Bible study right now through Acts because we're about to start a series there in about six or seven weeks. And man, that's amazing some of the stuff I'm reading about. I'm like, they don't look like my church. This don't look like the church I go. I mean, good grief, man. But listen, I believe it's possible. And I believe all it takes is us to be literally literally depends on our obedience to God, what God's called us to do, to, to be obedient to what he's called us. And, and you're like, well, I, I've never heard God speak. Well, open this and start small. Take the little chunks out. And as you see commands, start p- applying to your life. And you'll see the Holy Spirit start coming in and moving in your life. Do you want to see a church that's alive? I do. God's faithfulness in our lives and our obedience are directly related. Our, being obedient to what God's called us to do. And before we get started, I just want to I just want to stop and pray. Um, <clears throat> I just sense uh, just some 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 weight here this morning. I just want to kind of get off. Is that okay? Can we just pray? Um, if you wanna if you wanna pray at your seat, if you wanna come to the altar, if you wanna kneel next to your chair, I just want to give us some time just to kind of um, just release some tension and just pray a little bit and get just really um, honor God in that to get our hearts aligned with Him. So I just want to give you about thirty seconds to kind of do that, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Jesus, we love you. God, we praise your holy name. You're the only one that deserves praise in this place this morning. God, I pray that every word that's spoken, every verse that's read, God, will just penetrate the heart of someone who needs you this morning. God, I pray that the person in the seat this morning that is, is prideful or arrogant, Father, I pray that you would just break their heart this morning and show them how much you love them. God, the person that is, that is on the edge of their seat trying to make a decision for you but is scared, I pray that you would give them bravery and courage, Father, to step into newness of life in you, Father. I don't care if they've, been a, if they've been a cultural Christian their entire life, God, to be able to admit that they need you is the biggest step of their life. I pray, God, that you would just embolden them now as we begin to speak truth from Scripture, God. I pray that your spirit would come in this place because I know every time the gospel is spoken, the Holy Spirit is present. So, Father, you've said, you've promised that you would be with us always. So, God, I pray, I'm not praying a repetitive prayer of come be with us. I'm praying, God, that you would make us aware of your presence. So, God, I pray that you would make yourself aware to us this morning, God. I pray that you, the truth of Scripture would come alive in our hearts, God, and you, and you would convict us where we're wrong. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to change. God, we don't know it all, but we, we're depending on you to teach us. But we thank you, Father. We just give you all the glory for the service, God, for being able to meet here. God, we just want to dedicate every single second we're here to knowing you better. Lord, in your name I pray. Amen. Okay. Um, 
Today's the third week of our series that we're in right now. It's called Saved and Secure. Um, and the heart behind this series is for us to be able to have an assurance of our salvation and our position in Christ, our identity in Christ. And, you know, the heart behind what we're doing is I believe that the reason why we're doing this series is because we have a lot of believers, quote-unquote believers, in the house of God, in, in church, who are frozen and paralyzed because they don't know their next steps or they, they're unsure. They're, this might be a step, but guess what? This one might be better. I might like this one. I, am I called here? Am I called there? I don't know. Let me. And so they're all over the place because they have never gotten the security in who God is, what God's mission is, and how they fit in that plan. And so a devil gets in there, the Satan gets in there, starts working their minds, starts, starts working the lies, starts making them believe things that aren't true. And pretty soon you're on this spectrum where you're like, am I even saved? I can't hear from God. I haven't been obedient to God. Where am I at? I don't know. And you get so confused and you get in this hamster wheel of life. And we talked about for the last two weeks of where you're at with your faith. And it's so important for us to be able to go into the future as a church body and as individual Christians in this place for us to have an assurance of our salvation. And I believe with all my heart that the mothers in here, for instance, today, you want your children to know that you love them. Every question that we asked on that screen with the, with the mothers, one of the things, that you, the last question I asked them was, it says at the end of your life, if there's one thing you don't want them to have any doubts about in their life, what would it be? And every single one of them says that I love them, that I love them, that Jesus loves them and that I love them. That's, and that's the heart behind what God wants for his children too. He wants you to know that you've been saved. He wants you to know that he loves you. And, and on, the, on the flip side of that, I also believe that he wants you to know if you're not saved so that he can draw you in and, and, and give you the gift of salvation, the gift of repentance as the Bible talks about it. I believe he wants us to know about that. And I believe if, until you're secure, until you know, until your insecurities are gone and you're walking in faith in, in what God's done in your life, you're never going to take your next step. I don't believe it because you'll always be stuck in this self-consumed cycle of, am I saved? How much more do I have to do to be accepted by God? I just don't know. I go to Bible study and I don't feel any different, so we're living on feelings now. And so Satan is just lying, 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 and we aren't able to fight because we believe the things are ourselves that he's telling us. And so my thing today is we're going to spend a lot of time this week and next week in 1 John because we've been talking about assurance. And this is what John was battling in 1 John. He was, he was battling um, security and salvation. And, and um, John, 1 John is one of the only epistles in scriptures. It might be the only epistle in scripture that's not to a specific church. It's actually to the whole church because everybody is probably dealing with this at some point or another. And if you look, you can see that. But in the letter, John tries to help us identify the signs that are in your life that the gospel is true in you. And he, see, he says, look at this. This is how you know. Look at this. This is how you don't know. Look at this. This is how you know that you're saved. This is how you know that you're walking with Christ and his love is inside of you and that you've experienced a very genuine and authentic um, relationship with Jesus and that you have put your faith in Christ. And because you've trusted in Christ, this is now true about you. There's fruit coming out of your life. There may be some dead spots, but the fact that you're staying with Christ and you're abiding with him points back that you're staying in Christ. You're in him. You're secure in him. But what this book also shows is that if you're not in Christ, you, 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 there's things that, that are in your life that will point to that as well. Religion does not mean you're in Christ. 
you saying I go to church, I've done this, I, I, I feed the hungry, and I, and, I, and I serve in kids. My gosh, that sounds sanctifying, right? But it doesn't save us, right? It's important that we see that because maybe some of you in here this morning are struggling with that, that, that you, you, you've prayed the prayer and you've done, the, you've done the, 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 the religious activities, but you just can't get it right in your heart and your chest that you're saved. You don't feel the love of God and that he's, he's, he's pouring inside of you and walking, walking with you side by side, being a, abiding in his presence. Well, this day I pray this morning that you would just feel this way and that you would just understand in a real way who God is to you and what God's done for you. Because it's not a feeling, it's an identity and it's a position. Okay? Are we good? All right, we'll wait today. Okay, 1 John 5.13, you ain't got to turn there, it'll be on the screen. This is kind of our theme verse. This is John after the end of the, at the, end of the, the book, the very last chapter of the book. He says this, I write these things to you. Those two words after that is, is so that. I write these things for you so that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things to you so that you know that you have eternal life. So John was saying, I write these things so you can know, you can be sure. And some of the questions we began to ask the last two weeks are how do you know? That, how do you know that you know God? How, did you, how do you know that you're saved? How do you know God loves you? Because I can tell you right now, when you're in the monotony of life, going to work, going home, going to lunch, going home, going to work, back and forth, you're going through the grind, guess what happens? You kind of get numb right here. Your mind just gets kind of like mushy, right? If you don't do that, you're a very focused person, and I want to hang out with you because I need some of that focus. But what happens in the monotony of life and the way that we kind of go through the motions, it just wears us out mentally. And guess where the battle is in our spiritual life? It's in the mind. Satan knows that. He knows if he can get you on the hamster wheel, he's got you. But it's important to understand today that we're going to be talking about gaining certainty about Jesus through our experience with Jesus. We're going to, we're going to be gaining a surety and, and, a, and a security in Christ through what we've experienced and through what we know to be true about Christ in our life. You can point back and say, I remember Jesus on this day. I remember him saving my life, and I'm walking in assurance because I know that if he's plucked me out of this world, that nothing can take me out of his hand except me. And I'm telling you right now that I'm walking with Christ. And so when Satan comes in, and I'm sure he has in this place, when Satan comes in your, into your life and tries to stir things up, tries to lie to you about who you are, where you at, what, what God's trying to do in your life, we're able to look back at an experience with Christ at our walk, at the fruit that is producing in our life from our relationship with him. And we can look at Satan in the mouth and say, shut up. You know what I mean? You, don't, you have no power here. Jesus has saved me. He's secured me in the kingdom. I'm his. I'm not yours. Nothing you can say can come against me because of the name of Jesus. That's where we're at. And so we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 1 this morning. We're actually going to start in the very first verse. That pleases some of you teachers here. Um, verse 1 to 3 is where we're going to be at. And so if you want to turn there, you can, because if you have your Bible, you get extra cool points. If not, you're still cool. Um, we have a screen. Uh, so we're going to look at 1 John verse Chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. And just bear with me here for a second because it's going to get kind of wordy, okay? It says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this, circle this, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father 
and what has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Why? So that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so I love this because he says we've, we've heard it, we've seen it, we've looked at it, and we've touched it with our hands. And you look at those four things, and those four things are very, 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 very valuable in the verification of the story he's about to tell. Because this man has seen it, he's touched it, he knows it. He, all the disciples were, 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 were martyred and, and except one, and they, were, and, and, they, and they believed it to the point of death. From chain, they, they left their home, they believed it so much because they had seen something in Christ that they could not explain. It, it, in, in reality, in the real world, it should not have been true, but it was. Right? They, they, in their minds is like, I don't get this, but guess what? It is true because I've seen it, I've touched it, I've looked at it, I've watched it. He saw it too. I know I wasn't dreaming. I'm not crazy because he saw this man walking on water. That's not normal. So we're, we're good. Okay. Yeah, we're, we got this down. We're walking through this together, able to see this. And you look at this. He says, we've heard it. We've seen it with our eyes and we've looked at it. So if you look at that verse, it's like, well, we've seen it with our eyes and we've looked at it. Like John, you're kind of repeating yourself, right? Well, no. If you look at some of the Greek wording here, uh, looked at in this word, the actual Greek word is, is theoma. It's where you get the word theater. You ever been to a theater? What do you do at a theater? You're watching it. You're, I don't, there's not one area on that screen that I'm missing because I'm, I'm studying. I'm studying this. And I'm studying that. I don't want to miss anything because if I if I take my eyes away, if somebody's talking or something, I'm like, you know what I mean? You're focused on that screen. You're focused on that person. And if you look at what John was doing, was saying we saw it, but we also studied him. We also watched every move he made. We watched every voice, every concern, every, every conversation, every step he took. We were watching him. We saw everything that Jesus did. And we, and we have verification on this. And that's what I love about it. And he goes on and says, we proclaim this to you. We proclaim this to you. And the word proclaim, it means to declare officially or publicly. And I love it. It's, even, it's used three times. And what it is, is an, it's an emphasized declaration. If, if I'm proclaiming my love for my wife, it's more than me just saying I love, I love my wife, right? It's like, I love my wife. That's, that's, that's the proclamation, right? You're, you're, you're shouting it from the rooftops because I'm excited because something in the world shifted. The atmosphere shifted when Jesus came to earth and whenever he started working his ministry, something in the universe changed because God had left eternity and come to earth, had come to the creation that needed him most. Isn't that awesome? That's good news, and that's the gospel. And so as we got started this morning, as we're reading this verse, we're going to come back to them in a second. I kind of want to get some, a little illustration. Is that okay? I'm not going to do anything weird, I promise. But listen, I, I want to start something really, there, there's some facts in this world that I can't explain. One, because I'm not smart, but two, that should not be true, but they are, right? There's some things in this world that, that shouldn't be true, but you look it up, you can, you can experience, you can go look at it, you can hear about it, that they're true. And so I was reading through some interesting facts this week. There are more stars in space than there are grains of sand on every beach on earth. Think about that for a second. I was like, wait a minute, what? God, my, that's, that's crazy. Every beach on earth, all the grains of sand, more stars in the universe. Okay, that's cool. Think about this one. There are more atoms of water in one glass of water than there are glasses of water in all the oceans on earth. Think about that. What? Crazy. That shouldn't be true, right? There's enough water in Lake Superior to cover all of North and South America in one foot of water. 
I'm like, what? So, but this is my favorite. Look, there's a show that you should come on ESPN. It's called Sports Science. Have anybody ever seen this? Yeah, he got it. Yeah. We, like, we, it's, a great, it's a great show. I love it because it, t- it takes the sports that I love and it kind of puts them into spec- perspective of science. Like, how can this, what, how does this work? And so what, what I love about this is I love baseball, okay? My, my, my heart and passion is baseball. I played baseball. I love watching baseball. Um, but this is what I love. They did a study on the, ba- on the, on the, on the fastball. And in Major League, like, you know, a 90-mile-an-hour fastball is, is decently common. Can we agree on that? Like most people throw a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. And so they did a study on, on 90 miles an hour pitch from, from 60 foot, 6 inches from the, from the mound to the plate, from the, time it hits the, from the time it leaves the hand to the time it hits the glove. The, it takes 400 milliseconds. Okay, that's, that's, half, that's half a second. That's about half a second. And the scientist on the show, what he did is he figured out that it takes the batter's brain 200 milliseconds to, to find the ball in the air, to get the image, and to decide whether or not to swing. Like, baseball is insane. If you, I started studying this. It takes him 200, so half the time the ball is in the air, the batter is trying to decide, should I swing or not? Right? And so I'm like, man, this is amazing. So half the time it's in the air, I'm like, wow. And so the batter decides to swing. The brain spends about another 100 milliseconds deciding to swing the bat high, swing it low, swing it inside, swing it outside. And this doesn't even talk about the, the curveball or the changeup or the slider. This is just fastballs, okay? And so... So half the time the ball's in there, but he's trying to decide. Then, it, then there's 100 milliseconds. He's trying to decide to swing high, low, left, or right. So you're down 300 milliseconds already, and it takes 400 milliseconds for it to get there, okay? So you're down 300. The swing itself takes 150 milliseconds, okay? This is where it gets funny, because during the first 50 milliseconds, the batter can stop his bat, but after 50, the bat's moving at 70% of its full velocity, and it can't be stopped. So there's a seven millisecond, and this is losing some of you, I know. There's, there's, a, there's a seven millisecond variation that can cause the batter to hit a foul ball or to miss it altogether. You know, that's weird. And so the ball is, is locating the ball, it's 200 milliseconds, making decisions, 100 milliseconds, swinging the bats, 150 milliseconds. It takes 400 milliseconds for it to get there, and all that process is 450 milliseconds. Okay, so the ball is in the catcher's glove by 400, so according to the laws of physics, hitting a 90-mile-an-hour fastball is impossible. Is that true? Based on these it's, it's, it's impossible for it to be hit. But would you agree with that conclusion that a, a 90 mile hour fastball is impossible to hit? Would you agree with that? No. Why? Because you've seen it. You, you've watched it happen. What about a 95 mile hour fastball? That was a 90 mile hour fastball. Think about that. If you're like me back in the day, back in the 90s, whenever Mark Rollers was pitching, he was throwing 102, 103. I'm like, man, the joker's bringing some gas. They would hit him out the park. How can he? It's impossible. Literally can't happen. But you look here, you've seen it happen. You've watched it happen. You may have catched a, you may have caught a, a home run ball. No one who has ever watched a baseball game would agree that these physics are accurate. But what I'm telling you right now is the reason why is because you've seen it. And this is exactly where John was. In his life, the undeniable always takes precedent over the unexplainable. The undeniable truth of what's happening always takes precedence over the unexplainable. I can't deny that because I've seen it. I know it's true. And that's, what, that's the definition of faith that I love is faith equals the unexplainable meeting the undeniable. I love that definition is the, is the unexplainable meeting the undeniable. And John says that the reason he's sure about what he's teaching is that he and the other apostles actually saw Christ. 
They, they had personally heard his voice. They had touched him. They had watched his miracles. They were able to touch his resurrected body. And what John was saying is he was saying, this is not a theory we have accepted because Jesus' teachings are so wise. This is not why we, we believe this because Jesus rose from the dead, because we saw it. We saw him put in the tomb, and we saw him raised from the dead, and I can't explain it, but I can't deny it because I've seen it. You see that? Do we understand? Are we on the same page here? Is this exciting anybody else, or is it just me? I'm pumped up. My heart rates fast. This, I mean, this is awesome. This is awesome stuff, man. But this is what John is saying. Hey, I, I'm not, it's not a theory. So we see all in Scripture what the apostles are drawing their authority from. As Peter, James, and John, all those guys who wrote books of the Bible, they're drawing their facts and authority from Scripture from the fact that Jesus was God in flesh, that, God, that he came down from heaven, and he verified who he was to them by all he taught through the miraculous signs. So the teachings were verified through the signs that he gave. He was able to teach with such authority because of the things he was able to do. Do you get that? He was able to walk through. And so the proof, the proof of what John was saying wasn't in how, how wise Jesus' teachings were, which they were wise, but that's not where the proof came. It came by the miraculous power that verified the authority by which he taught. And what you had to see is a great example in John. And I love John. He's, he's wrote a, he wrote a gospel and, a, and, a, and three epistles, but listen, and Revelation. But in John, there's a, there's a story of a Jewish man who had been blind from birth. And in the, and in the culture of that Jewish culture, what happens is somebody's blind from birth, the, the culture would say, this is a sign of God's judgment on that family or that person. And Jesus healed him. So that guy's like, I don't understand. I'm so confused. Like, I'm supposed to be cursed, but I'm healed. What's happening? The same way we are. But when the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees came to him and said, you know, they heard about this and they confronted this man. What they said, there's no way this guy could have healed you. He's a sinful man who teaches wrong stuff. That's what, he, that's what they said to him. And the guy's reaction and response is awesome. John 9, uh, verse 25, it'll be on the screen. This is what the guy said. Here, but guys, listen, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You, you go do that thing. You, you, you look in scriptures and figure out like what it says. But I'm telling you right now, my experience with God is that one time I was blind, but whenever he touched me, I can see now. I know I'm able to see. And they could have argued this. They could not have argued with this guy's experience because they, he knows he was blind. Now he can see. And he was basically saying, listen, dude, I don't, I don't care how you try to explain away this man's power or this man's wisdom. All I know is what I experienced. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm, I'm alive. I, I, was, I was lost, but now I'm secure. And my question for you this morning, each person in these seats this morning, is have you ever had an experience like this with Jesus in your life? Have you ever had an experience in your life with Jesus like this in your life where you're able to point back and say, I don't know all the logistics of Scripture really well that I, I would like to, but what I do know is I was lost, but he found me. I was living in sin. He restored me. I was walking in, in, in the pit of darkness. He, shone, he shone light on my heart, and now I'm saved. I know for a fact because I've experienced it. I know it. It's an undeniable encounter with Jesus that you can point to and say, I don't care what you say. 
I know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Not I know about him. I know a lot of scripture. I know a lot of theology and, and some cool facts. And I like to debate apologetics and different things. Not that, because that don't make it any difference in the world at all. The gospel, do you know Christ? Do you know him? Do you know him in your life to the point where he's changed you? This is the whole point of what we're talking about in this, in this series. God trying to reach down to man. God reaching down to pull us out of sin. God giving us um, just a revelation of who he is through Jesus. And these, re these realities of who God is through Christ can be experienced every bit as much as John experienced. Do you believe that? It can be. It can be experienced. The, the, the truth of who God is can be experienced just as much for you as it could for John. And it's important that you know that. The miracles Jesus did were signs that pointed to a greater reality. The miracles were real, but they pointed beyond themselves to things that were true about God. That, that, that people needed to be revealed. Jesus revealing God to man. You can look at some examples in Scripture where Jesus reached out. John 6, there's like four or five I want to share. John 6, Jesus multiplied food and bread and fed 5,000 people. So he explained that this was a sign of God's power to satisfy. It says he was the bread of life. And, 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 and that those of us who will come to him and truly, not marginally, not on the Sundays, but truly come to him will find soul satisfaction in Christ. That knowing him feels like a starving man sitting down at Golden Corral. Have you felt that? Have you felt that soul satisfaction of God coming in and bringing life in me and changing my heart? Have you felt that? Because I tell you, that's proof of God is real. That's proof he's real. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Christ. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Christ. Is your heart restless this morning or is it free? Is it, is it, is it, is it redeemed? Do you know Christ? A couple chapters before, John 4, he tells a story about a woman who discovered that Jesus knew everything about her. Everything. All her dirty, dark, adulterous secrets. He knew all the things. But he loved her anyway. He showed her love and concern and compassion. Have you ever had that sense that God knew everything about you? He, he was reading your mail. He, he was pressing in on your soul that you, but, and that you were fully known by him and you're fully loved by him at the same time. Like he knows all those things about you, but he loves you at the same time. Have you, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever walked in that? Mark 4. Mark 4 is, is a, thanks bro. Mark 4 is, is Jesus is out on the sea with his disciples and a terrible storm is coming up and everybody in the boat is terrified, which rightly so. They're on a wooden boat with a sail, no motor. I'd be terrified. And what happened was they woke him up and says, don't you even care that we're going to die? Don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus stands up and says, peace be still. He goes back, you know, he's like, just drop the mic, count on the peace be still. The storm goes away. Has this ever happened to you? Has the storms in your life been silenced by the peace of Christ, by the peace of his life, by the peace of who he is? Either Jesus has actually stilled the storm in our life, or even better, he's given us peace within the storm that, that he is still under control no matter what the circumstances say. That's where it's about. Matthew 9 Verse 20, a woman came up to Jesus. The woman has had, a, had a, a menstrual flow of blood for 12 years. 
It's like, oh my, you know, what, what's happening? Which made her unclean in that culture. She was looked at as unclean, had to live outside of society because she was unclean, unfit for society. And what happens? It meant that no one could touch her. It meant that she was unlovable in that culture. But Jesus, he calls her by a very intimate term. What's he say? What's he call her? He calls her daughter. Think about what that made her feel like in that moment. Unloved, separated from society, Jesus looks at her and says, daughter. And that's what he's saying to us. In my heart this morning is that we would understand that, that, that her soul feels the awareness of the love God has for her. And my heart this morning is for you to feel the awareness of how much God loves you. And if you're saved in here this morning, that should be something that has been evident in your life that you can point to and says, I'm a child of God. I know Jesus loves me because he's done this in my life. You can look at Mark 8, verse 24. Jesus heals a blind guy. It does not in two stages though. He heals him. He say, in the first stage, he, the man said, he says, Jesus goes, and the guy's like, well, I, I can see, but it's kind of blurry a little bit. I'm like, I see men walking around like trees. That's what he says. And so then Jesus touches him again. Why, why does he do that? You know, was, was, his, was his spiritual batteries low? No, that's not what happened. That's not, what, that's not why he had to touch him again. No, he was giving him a picture. He was giving us a picture that Jesus is the one that clears up our spiritual vision. He clears it up. He clears up the spiritual vision where we're kind of like foggy on one area. We may be kind of uninformed on one area. We, he clears those things up. And when he first comes into your life, we have some basic spiritual truths that we may know from Bible school, from a small group or discipleship or things like that. But the longer you walk with Christ, the longer you get in Scripture, the longer you're in prayer, and you're surrendering your heart to him, the more and the more, the more the world will start making a little more sense to you, spiritually speaking. Right? Are y'all here? Has this happened to you? Has this happened to you? I can go all, all, all day with Scripture, with this, these kind of definitions and these examples. I can do this all day. The greatest assurance that we're saved and secure in Him is an encounter with Him that's changed us. Listen, this morning, if you're in here this morning, you can't point back to a time in your life where you were this way, but you're now this way. There's some reason to question where you're at with Christ because he comes in, is, is, he changes things. I've heard the, I've heard the analogy before. of uh, it, was a, it was an illustration. It's kind of funny. Is a guy was late from work and he was like coming in and he tells his boss, man, sorry, I was on the side of the road and I, I had a tire blow out and I had to change my tire. And when I stepped out, I got hit by a Mack truck going 70 miles an hour, but I finally made it and I'm here to work. And his boss is like, no, that didn't happen. He's like, well, he said, if you got hit by a mattress going 70 miles an hour, you would look very different right now. You would look like a, a mush of flesh on the side of the road still. Listen, the same thing happens when you come in contact with Jesus. You look very different from the, from the day before you met him. You come in contact with Jesus, you're a new person. Death to life, old to new, lost to found broken to healed, slave to free and redeemed. Have you experienced this before? Have you ever walked in this before? If you haven't, you can't be secure in anything eternal until you come to know him by faith and let him work in your life. First John 1, going back to this uh, little section we just read, in verse 3, there's a very important word I want you to see. It says, we've seen and we've heard we write these things to you, we proclaim these things to you so that you may have what? Fellowship. We're telling you these things so that you can have fellowship with us and fellowship with God 
through Jesus. We're writing these things to you so you can have fellowship with us and with Jesus. And let me tell you, fellowship is a very experiential word where you have to experience fellowship. Fellowship is not something you can be like, oh, that's fellowship over there. How do you know? Fellowship is experienced. Me and and a brother hanging out, there's an experience there that I'm able to look back on to say, I remember the conversation. I remember how he encouraged me. I remember the moments of our conversation. I I can remember what he said, how he said it, and how he made me feel. That's fellowship. And what I want you to see, as you experience God in these ways that we're talking about, you gain a greater assurance that you're his and that he's yours because of the experience. He begins to illuminate scripture in your heart. As you read it, he illuminates it. He brings it alive in you. He doesn't just give you Oh, excuse me, he does not give you a new revelation because there are no new revelations. What he does is he, he clarifies and he amplifies the revelation that's already been given. Because it, and then in those moments, what happens, it feels new because you never knew that before. It feels new, but it's been there the whole time and you might've read it a thousand times. What happens, the Holy Spirit comes in and he starts moving and he starts changing you and you're like, wow, where did that come from? I've read that verse a thousand times. It didn't say that all thing. You know, that's why it says the Bible is a living thing. He, he gives you revelation. He, he amplifies and magnifies the Bible. Have you experienced God's love? Have you experienced his love? Have you ex- come face to face with your sin and experienced grace? Have you, have you ever experienced the power of the gospel? We've had two people in the last two weeks get saved in this place because they've experienced the gospel love that they've never known. And anybody in those people's lives would look at you and say, those people are unsavable. But guess what? Jesus saved them. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. Pumped up, man. Psalms 34 says this. Psalms 34, 8. says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that he's good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I love strawberries. I'm going to tell you this right now. I, I, I can say, hey, man, this thing right here is legit. If you put chocolate on it, it's even better. But guess what? You'll never know that until you do what? You taste it. You experience the goodness of God. And you can know about God. You can quote facts about Scripture. You can even live a good life. But until you experience the goodness and the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus, it is impossible for you to be saved. It's impossible according to Scripture. Jesus is the only way. He is the only way. We've talked about this the last few weeks about God's holiness. In our sin, in our sin, we deserve the wrath of God. But God made a way back through Jesus and he didn't have to do that because he's holy, he's pure, he's above all things, he's in all things. He did not have to make a way. And instead of sitting here arguing and having these idiotic debates about why Jesus is the only way, our humility should bring us to our knees and rejoice that there even is a way. Because there doesn't have to be a way. This is one of the reasons why the Bible says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Because when we see the heart of God and how kind he is in pursuing us, we come to our knees and say, thank you, Jesus. I am a sinner in your presence and your sight. I pray that you would have mercy on me because without you I cannot survive in your presence because of your wrath towards my sin. All we have to do is receive it. You hold your hands out and you receive it. You repent and you be baptized. You receive the love of God has 
But that's impossible while we're building up walls in our hearts because we're bitter or we're hurt by somebody in the church, somebody, our parents, our dad. We have a father wound that we can't get rid of. We have a mother wound that we can't get rid of. And we say no because God's a father. My father sucked. Listen, I, can't, I know I can't say that, but I just did. It's okay. Listen, my father was not a good guy. But how can God be good? Because we relate it back to that. God is good. In Romans, it says this, that sin has blinded the eyes of all men. They can't see God or hear from him because of their sin. But when Jesus came, he made a way around those walls. He broke through those walls. He broke through those bitterness. He broke through that hurt. He broke through that pain, and he redeemed it because we had to stop holding on to it and let it go. Let him have the pain, and let's receive the grace, and let's walk in repentance, and let's walk in obedience. That's how you find Christ. That's how you find hope. That's how you find peace. That's how you find the fulfillment that you're seeking in other things. Can we relate with this, or is it just me? Listen, that's how we find Jesus. Do you know this type of love? Do you know this type of love? If you don't, come to Christ today. This is where security in our salvation comes in. Has the gospel produced a a regenerate heart in you? Has 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 it come to life in you? Have you seen the effects of the gospel opening your eyes to who he is, to the truth of scripture? Have they been leaping off the page? Man, that makes so much sense now. It's because the Holy Spirit is working. Because what, that's what happens whenever we come into, to come into Christ, through, or come to God through Christ. Or, well, it, he begins to sanctify us. His word begins to come alive in us. His spirit begins to speak to our spirit. Romans 8 says this. says the spirit himself, the spirit himself comes to us, testifying to our spirit that we're God's children. What better way is there to know that you're God's children than him saying you're my child? That's good. That's good. That's good news. John 10, 27, another verse. My sheep hear my verse, my voice. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. A genuine experience with God always, always, always results in the word of God, of the gospel coming alive in our hearts. And I'm not talking about sensing of the spirit within, giving you some new revelation about this prophetic word over here. That I'm talking about the spirit of God magnifying the word of truth in our hearts. It becoming alive and, and active in us. The Holy Spirit, what he does is he magnifies it, he shows it what, what it is. And I want to tell you right now, if you're a disciple in here and then you aren't experiencing these types of things, this type of fellowship with the Father, then you have to ask yourself, why am I not experiencing this? Ask yourself that right now. If you're not, why am I not experiencing this? Is there a wall in the way that I need to get torn down this morning? Do I need to, what do I need to do? Because we live in one of the most connected cultures in history. You know what I can find on this phone? Anything I want to probably right now in in just about a few seconds, right? But we also, we live in one of the most disconnected and detached cultures in the world in our history. People aren't together anymore. There's, there's division in churches. There's, just, there's division in homes. There's division in marriages. We're just trying to get through the week, man. I, I mean, listen, it's time to stop living and stop being okay with a boring Christianity. It's, stop, it's, it's, it's time to stop looking at Acts and saying, man, that was so cool. I wish it could happen here. Guys, it can't. 
If we would just surrender to Jesus, if we would give our life to him and see the kingdom come here like it did there, God would just blow this place up. We wouldn't have enough room to sit. We wouldn't have enough city to, to, to we have to go outside the city to find new people to convert because God would be moving so much. Look, give yourself to Jesus today and don't turn back. Let the experience that you have with him either here or in your past carry over into all eternity and walk in security and assurance of what he's done in your life. It's time to stop being satisfied with just a boring Christianity. It's time to start living by faith. It's time to start getting excited about what God's done. Because when I look out at you guys and we're like, and I'm talking about salvation, and you're like, I'm like, do, do we need to, do, I need to say in Greek. That's what I need to do. So I throw some Greek words in there. This is something to get excited about. This is something that should beat your heart just a, a little bit faster. But what's happened is we live in such a, a consumeristic culture that we have Facebook and we have these billboards and we have all these things vying for our attention that we're not amazed anymore by things. We need to let the scripture amaze us. We need to let the gospel amaze us. We need to let the truth of scripture come alive in us like we're talking about. You have to position yourself though. Because everything's coming at you. You have to position yourself to be able to experience God. And I want to tell you how. How can I experience moments with God that bring assurance into my life, Christian? If you're not, if you're not saved here, I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to Christians. If you want to experience more of God's presence in your life, there's four. I'm going to talk about them real quick. The first thing, join and commit and invest in a connect group. Join, commit, invest in a connect group. This is another point I want to point to you. We make it so dang easy for you to follow Jesus in this place. We, we give you, I want to give you a connect group to be, do life with. I want to give you an opportunity to get baptized. I want to give you an opportunity to serve, to, 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 to go overseas. I want to do everything we can to help you walk with Jesus. I, I want to make it easy for you so that you can make it easy for somebody else. I want you to give, I want you to receive it and then I want you to give it to somebody else. And that's about a connect group. Join a group of like-minded followers of Jesus who are seeking Christ, who, who don't, they don't join to get something from him. They join to serve him. Go and invest in those people. Don't walk in there and say, here I am, invest in me. Don't walk in there like that. Walk in and say, what can I do? How can I serve this group? How can I pray for you? Can we, can we meet for coffee? I wanna pray for you because God's been working in my life. He's been showing me some stuff that I wanna share with you. Like, and what you'll notice is the experience we've talked about today, you'll start noticing people in that group, they've experienced some of the same things that you've experienced. They've experienced some things that, that they need you to pour into them for because God's walked you through it and brought you freedom. Acts 2 is full of miracles. Why, why, the, why is it full of miracles? But one, because the Spirit of God was moving heavy, but it was because Christians were living their lives together on mission to see God's glory reach the ends of the earth. These people didn't care about a 401k. They didn't care about if their kids are D1 athletes. They didn't care about any of this stuff. That stuff was icing on a cake. But their goal was to see the mission of God carried out in their lifetime. That was their, they wanted to see Jesus come back. They were always looking to this, looking, is, he, is it today? Is it today? Is it today? Is it today? And they wanted the return of Christ to come back. And my heart for every connect group in this place, in this house, is that we would be a church that looks to the sky and expects Jesus any day. But until then, we're fighting tooth and nail to see the kingdom come here like we see it in heaven. That's my heart. The second thing, you don't know how to experience God? Second thing, dig into the word of God. 
throw away these little Jesus calling books that you're depending on and dig into the word of God. I'm telling you those books are great. Whatever, this devotional book. The word of God is where it's at. And so many times we get so satisfied with these little things and we're trying to dig into God's word, dig into God's word to the point where you're starting to hear because what Romans says is faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Hearing by the word of God. Only when you put the word of God in your head and in your heart does it find its way out of your mouth. And it grows. The primary way that God speaks to you is through the word of God. The primary way. I'm never going to say God's not going to speak any other way. God can do whatever the heck he wants to do. God is God. God is going to speak to you through the word first. He's going to speak through the word that he's giving us a revelation. And this is why the church, what does the church fight to get overseas? More than anything else in the world, it's not missionaries, it's Bibles. We try to smuggle Bibles into countries that don't have Bibles. We try to, we try to translate Bibles that there's not a, there's not a, there's not a, uh, a, ver- a version of that, but we try to translate it. There's not even people to teach it to them. That takes us out of the equation. The Holy Spirit, as they're reading these Bibles, it comes alive. And you see these videos in China or in Papua New Guinea where they're flying in these Bibles and they're like crying over the word. We have the word of life. They're crying over it. And the band wants to come back. We're going to do one more song here in a second. But I just want to share how this looks is that the Bible is where it's at. The word of God has power to change your heart for anybody who engages in it. But what's happened is the American church, the American church has created this vision of the Bible that has us at the center. Can we relate to this? The, the, the American church has put us in the center or we have this ulterior motive in reading it. Like our goal is to get to heaven. I don't want to ask for a raise of hands because somebody will raise it. Our goal is not to get to heaven. Our goal is get, to get God. Our goal is to be in God's presence. Heaven is just a byproduct and icing on the cake. God's presence is what we want to be back in because that's where fulfillment and peace are at. And we have these ulterior motives. Guys, God's word is meant to sanctify us. And here's what I know. If you really believe that the Bible was divinely inspired and written, you'd read it no matter what. It's just that easy, right? If you really believe that, you'd read it no matter what. The third thing, spend time in prayer. Spend time in heartfelt, humble, surrendered prayer. Humble yourself in a posture of prayer. That may be you kneel on the floor. That may be you put your face on the dirt. That may be you just have your hands standing up like this. Just humble before God. Let your heart fall at Jesus' feet and just pray humbly that God would just meet you in that place and you would start experiencing his presence. Get on your face before him. Get over yourself. Michael, get over yourself. Get on the floor and pray to him. The last thing, number four, join Jesus on his mission. You want to experience Jesus? Join him where he's working. Be a disciple-making disciple. Don't make disciples just check off a list. I'm a, I'm a disciple maker now. Yee. No, make a disciple with the intention of that person making more disciples. You have a bigger vision. I want to see the kingdom come, so I'm going to raise this guy up. Who can raise this guy up? Who can raise that guy up? I'm going to send him out here. We're going to do this. That's going to be awesome. I'm pumped. Be a disciple-making disciple. What better way to experience God than to engage on his mission? There's not one. There's not one. That was for the Christians. 
do those things, and I promise you, they're foolproof because they're scripture. The last thing for you non-Christians, people who know they're not saved, people who, who are starting to doubt whether they're saved. I don't even know if I'm saved anymore because this, these verses, this, 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 uh, this series has been, been tough. I don't know. If you're here and you've never had an experience like we talked about today, there's a reason for that. And our heart is that you'd figure that out today. That pride wouldn't be a thing. Because I can promise you right now, I don't want to break this to you harshly, but you have no reason to be prideful. I don't either. Let pride go out the window and you come before God and you say, God, I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know what I'm supposed to say. I don't know if I'm doing this right, but I just need you. I just know I need you. Because when you, when you, when you recognize the need, you're halfway there. When you recognize the need, you're halfway there because God loves you intimately. He's calling you son, daughter, come home. Son, daughter, stop this. Live in freedom that I've given you. God loves you to the point of death, to the point of sacrificing his son just so that you might come back to him. Just in case before you were ever born, he was making a way back to him. And I don't care what religion you've been a part of. I don't care what denomination you've worshiped in. Listen, the gospel is true for all people. Will you come to Christ today? And my heart right now is for you to, I'm gonna pray for you, but I also wanna open an opportunity. I wanna offer two opportunities. This is the first one. If you don't know Jesus today like this, if you've never experienced him like we've talked about today, and you know that you need him, I want to give you an opportunity to raise your hand and I want to pray with you personally. We want to pray with you. If you know you need Christ today and you know today's the day of salvation for you, is that you? Will you just lift your hand so we can pray with you this morning? I know that's nerve-wracking. Second off. All right. Okay, yeah. Can we pray with you? All right, listen. Here's a second opportunity. Second opportunity here. Listen, if you know that you need to make a decision when it comes to Christ and you're, and you're just nervous, you can't raise your hand, come to this altar. This altar is a safe place. There's people that want to pray with you right now in this place. They would meet you here. Tell them where you're at. Tell them what you need. If you don't know how to say it, say, I don't know what I need. I just know I need something. But we're going to sing one more song together. And the song is King of My Heart, I think. And so listen to the words of the song and just look at Christ in a different way this morning. We, we love you. We pray that you understand the love of Christ. And we pray this morning that you would not leave here the same way you walked in. So let's pray together. God, we love you. I thank you for who you are and all that you've done. I thank you for bringing salvation to this brother this morning. I pray, God, that you would just walk with him. I pray that you would walk with us. God, show us who you are. Give us revelation, Father and Lord. I pray for the, the nerves. I pray for the boldness of the people in this room right now, God, that know they need to make a, a decision to follow you or a decision to rekindle a relationship with you, whatever it looks like, God. I pray that Satan's voice will be silenced right now in Jesus' name. God, and your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts right now, Father. We love you. I just give you all the glory and honor in the name of pray. Amen.